Introducing The Vet Detective, brought to you by PSI Vet, a quick and candid series for veterinary professionals where we uncover the underlying challenges that limit your business's potential. Featuring your host, PSI Vet's Kimberly Schaefer. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have the second part of our interview with Dr. Pierre Weinstein. So I'm excited to bring this to you and let's jump in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with 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 following good successes. I mean, that's the best form of flattery, right? When someone copies you. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, there there are things that can can make pr- little things, little changes that can make practices so much you know, thrive so much more. And it's just being willing to, to come out of the shell or come out of that box just for a little bit. Like you said, listen to someone who has an idea, you know, listen to bring, bring back one of those topics from CE and, you know, continue education that you really just really spoke to you and, and bring it back and, and try it, like try it for 30 days. Like there's nothing wrong with trying anything for 30 days. If get everybody to say, we got 30 days to do this. We're going to try it. We're going to see if it works. And if it's a major disaster, then you try. You, you can't say you didn't try. But if you try to come back and, and, and make a bunch a bunch of changes and then, you know, the first couple of days everybody does it. And then, you know, by day seven, you've got like, you know, three people who stop doing it. So they see the other people and they're like, well, yeah, well, so-and-so is not doing it. So I didn't think we were supposed to do it anymore. And then by the end of two weeks, nobody's doing it anymore. But if everyone gives a concerted effort to give it 30 days, whether they like it or not, they'll be able to see whether it works or not. As long as you have some some measurements of success tied to it, how do we know that it's working unless we know where we were before right. and we know where, where we want it a- a- afterwards? Now, it doesn't have to be a tangible number like more clients or more dentistries. It can be an efficiency number or a, a lack of complaint and concern number or just a, a some sort of subjective but you really if you're going to make a change be able to kind of measure where you were and measure where you are at the end and just see how much of an improvement there was um, and this goes for everything that we've been talking about uh, Peter Drucker is quoted you know to, to manage it you have to measure it way too often in businesses, we just throw fecal material against the wall and hope it sticks. Hopefully, I can say that. Um, but you know, I mean, usually let's... people say spaghetti, but that's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm a little bit more open minded about things. So you know, we got We throw stuff against the wall and see if it sticks. But how do we know if it sticks? It's a good stick. So you got to have some numbers. And and you were talking about dashboards before. Absolutely. If you, you know, when I talked about the dentistry, I talked about doing 40 as our average. That's an average. How many new clients do you see? What numbers are you tracking? You can't just complain to your staff that you're not busy unless you have numbers that indicate you're not busy. So you've got to be using, part of Wanji is knowing what those numbers are. Right. And when I, I will say that those numbers can't be, numbers that you think they are because that's one thing that i see all the time is that owners will say oh well i 
I have a, a good percentage of compliance. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably 50, you know, 50% compliant with cats or 90% compliant with my team. And I always say, what, what are, what are your, what are you using to measure that? And a lot of times you just get crickets because it's just a, it's just a thought. It's just a, a, a random percentage. It's not an actual calculated scientific percentage. And often, more often, that percentage is far, far lower than what the owner or the manager may even think if they're not using data to, to get to those percentages. You know, you've probably been to enough dinner meetings with veterinarians to know that they that Veterinarians just love to talk, stand around and talk about how great their last month was or how bad their last month was. But so many of those assessments are subjective in nature, and they're based upon the fact that the last time they looked at the checkbook, there was some cash in it. Now, of course, tomorrow is payday, which means all that cash is going away. So you're absolutely correct. So much of the assessments that are being made are a gut feel, which is okay if you could validate it with a real feel, such as a PL or a dashboard or whatever numbers you want to use, but you got to use real numbers. It's like you get angry at somebody for, for not doing something, but you never measured what they were, were doing before. So yeah, let's use some real numbers and not just some let's pie in the sky type things and maybe some numbers that just flew across the sky as you were driving to work in the morning and you saw them and there was a cloud that was in the number three and you said, you know, we only saw three new clients yesterday. We're supposed to be seeing six. It's like, where did that come from? We saw seven. All right. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're at this percentage compliance with all of our, 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 uh, and you know, new, new clients or, or whatever. We're seeing a good amount. Um, the, the best one that I hear, and, and I hope that I don't offend any listeners, but I'm just going to be quite honest. The best one I hear is I don't get, I don't really have anybody that, that goes to Chewy. They'd rather buy from me in my practice. And I know yeah. I'm switching topics here, but I, I usually will just challenge them and say for, for the next month or two, I want you to keep a basket of every single faxed request that you have come through your door. And then at the end of the month, I want you to count those and I want you to multiply it by a hundred and that's how much money you lost. So, um, so yeah, real numbers are important. And, and what I would challenge all the listeners here is to go back to your practice and get a smart goal template. You know, you can, you can look it up online. It's, it's, and, and pick three goals that are important to you and, and break them apart to be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, um, uh, relevant and time stamped, and, and put them in and see if you can put those in. And, and then, then you have a starting point, you know, and, and maybe those goals will change. Maybe you realize they're not quite as, as relevant as maybe you thought they were and they can shift, but, but pick three, pick three that you can really get a finite goal that you'd like to, to really tackle in 2021. Yeah, actually, um, let me, let me push that challenge. L let me, let me push that challenge even harder. I would suggest three goals per quarter and not just three goals per year. And maybe you have some annual goals that you break down into quarterly goals. And then maybe your quarterly goals are broken down into monthly goals. And again, it's, it's, you can't chop the tree down with one swing. You got to chop the tree down with multiple small swings and it'll eventually fall. 
And I want to take that to one to another level in the sense that you've got practice goals. You may have department goals, but I actually would suggest having individual goals and working with your team on a goal setting um, program whereby your team can actually get a higher salary or get some sort of bonus based upon each of the individual staff members accomplishing certain goals. And these are goals that they set for themselves. And yeah, if you can do it quarterly, that would be great. You will find how difficult it is for your team to actually identify goals for themselves to grow. And I, I, had, a, I had a statement that says, um, you grow or you go. So anybody who didn't want to set goals, they had a short-term leash. But those people who, who had goals, even though they may have been challenging or some of them were relatively easy, we set some easy goals too, had a great opportunity to increase their salaries every quarter instead of waiting till the end of the year for some crazy, crazy habit that we've been in forever to give people year-end bonuses and some sort of review based upon a perfect receptionist or technician or manager that really doesn't exist. Let people grow into their jobs and into the practice by doing some individualized goal setting as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you, you know, there's, again, there's resources out there that can help you get started with this. Um, you know, if it's something that feels too heavy, um, you know, reach out to your, your different uh, companies that you work with and see if someone can help you start a goal setting session. Um, I know with, with us, all of our area managers, um, we're really, really interested in finding out what goals are with, with practice owners and um, how, and helping them get to those goals, define those goals, um, you know, hash them out and get to those goals. So um, I agree. I mean, I, I think personal goals are, are super important as well. Um, when I was in practice, um, our hospital had a, a big notebook that was in our um, staff lounge that um, we would put put down employees' goals. And sometimes those were not even work-related. Sometimes those were personal goals. Like maybe they wanted to get their bachelor's degree or uh, maybe they were trying to attain, you know, something, something even outside of the veterinary field. But acknowledging that they had their own goals, I think, was was helpful too. And and then circling back to it, like don't just write your goals down, but somebody's got to hold you accountable for what you're putting on there as well. Um, even if it's just yourself holding yourself yeah. accountable. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm gonna go back to your Chewy discussion a little while ago. Um, if the practice cringe, is cringe, everybody cringes. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, if the practice's goals is to put Chewy out of business, then you need to understand why people use Chewy versus you. Yep. Okay, so once you understand the why, then you can figure out the what and the how. And the, the, the probability, since most veterinarians are so busy being busy, I would bet many of them really don't know the real numbers of faxes that come across requesting prescription refills unless... They are being brought to the doctor each time, every time, and the same doctor for that matter, if it's a multi-doctor hospital, to be approved. Because if you dilute out 100 amongst three or four doctors, it doesn't seem so bad. But when they're all going to one doctor, then they realize that there's 100 requests every month. But if you're too busy being busy, you're probably signing initial things 
and and you're not even paying attention to it. So right. um, this is where Wanji comes in. This is where if one of the goals to work on the practice is to decrease the number of uh, prescriptions that you're losing to other services, then you need to uh, figure out what tools you have, what resources are available so that you can provide the cost and convenience and competition so that clients will come to you to have the problem solved rather than going to something outside of your practice. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I, a friend of mine, uh, she's a, a retired emergency um, technician and does a completely different career path now, but she had adopted some cats and she, she messaged me and said, is it bad for me to order cat toys on Chewy? I, I don't want to. I don't want to do it if it's bad for. Because she always hears me talking about it. I'm like, you can, you can order what you need to order. Um, and so she ordered a bunch of of cat toys. Nothing, you know, nothing that would have taken away from necessarily her veterinarian. And she got a thank you card. She got a welcome. She got all these nice things that that made her feel special. And you know, I can't encourage practices more. Like you have to do that. You got to step it up. You know, you've got to make sure that you're giving them that same feel good that your competitors are giving them or they're going to go to their competitors. Absolutely. I mean, in March of 2021, as we sit here speaking, client retention has, has been I, I believe client retention has been forgotten because we're so busy trying to deal with all of the phone calls that are coming in and we're not even recognizing who the best of our clients are. The ones who got us until March of 2020 have gotten lost amongst the busyness. Now, if I'm an A client at a veterinary hospital and I'm spending thousands of dollars per year for the care of my pets, and I call that hospital and I'm told it's going to be three weeks before I can get in and see a doctor. Am I going to look for someplace else to go? Yeah, there's a pretty darn good chance that I am. Um, so, and if you don't, if you haven't thought about it, how can you accommodate your A clients? And, and you, there's 10% of your clientele is what I would consider to be A clients. How okay. can you accommodate those couple hundred clients so that when they call, you find a place for them. When they call, somebody calls them back. Um, you know, what we've got to be doing is thinking about this. From, this, is, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And at the end of COVID, whenever that may be and whatever that's going to look like, what is your clientele going to look like? How many of those existing clients that were there in the past might have gone elsewhere because you couldn't accommodate them? And that should, needs to continue after we return to some semblance of normalcy because honestly, we don't need every client. We need those clients that believe in the vision, the mission, and the values that our practice stands for. And you will lose more sleep out of trying to make every client happy than you ever will by focusing on your top clients who already believe in you, who are already raving fans, and who are fully compliant. Those are the ones that you should be focusing on, but we are right. so busy trying to make every client happy. Well, and I think sometimes we end up focusing more on the difficult clients. You know, we we take advantage of, of those um, 
A clients because we, we're not really worried that they're going to leave us. And then we spend so much time trying to accommodate the client who's threatening to go elsewhere, threatening to give you a bad review. And you, you ask the whole staff to bend over backwards for them. What are you doing for your existing clients that, that already are, are loyal to you? You know, are you rewarding them? Um, you know, you can lose, a, you can't have all the clients, right? So, you know, like you said, take care of the good ones. And, and you know, going back to the, the online discussion, you know, I, I've had practices that tell me that their clients like to come pick up food. And I'm, and I'm thinking, give a 40 pound bag of dog food to any one of your team, you know, teammates and ask them to walk around your practice holding a 40 pound bag of dog food. They probably don't want to do that if they can have it dropped at their front door. And so, you know, that, that misconception or that, that um, misguided feeling of how many people really do want to do that, you know, take care of them, take care of those, those clients and, and make sure that they don't have to do anything that's going to inconvenience them. Well, and I think it's also very, very important to recognize the, the huge change in generations that we're seeing right now as the top generation in terms of numbers and money is no longer the baby boomers and the Gen X, it's the millennials. Mm-hmm. And those millennials have different and needs, different, desi- different <laughs> desires. And we have to, we've got, we've got five generations of veterinarians providing five generations to p- employing five generations of employees, delivering care to five generations of pet owners who have all sorts of different perceived needs. So, I mean, if you really want to, 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 to have your head spinning, learn what the needs are for every generation and try to be accommodating to them. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer that is on the cusp of, of Gen X that uh, wants to believe that he's a millennial because he likes the technology that's associated <laughs> with it. Uh, my dad at 88 was uh, on his cell phone texting with my kids and ordering his drugs online from CVS. So we've got to be changing our practice to accommodating the generational needs and where the money is um, to have technologies that allow a Kimberly to go online at three o'clock in the morning and refill a prescription or make an appointment or it's or text the veterinarian throughout the day. We can't continue to do it the same way that we've always done it. That's the definition of insanity. Um, yeah, I believe that Einstein had. So this is all about accommodating to the environment in which we work now instead of having the environment try to accommodate to us. Right. And we've always been in, you know, just in the veterinary industry alone, we've always been a few generations behind in, in, in the rest of the um, professional landscape. Um, You know, the, even just salaries, just as far as salaries go, we're, we're lower than we're we're paying salaries that are similar to, you know, the seventies. We haven't, we haven't shifted the way the rest of the work industry has shifted and, it's difficult because we don't have the same backup that some of these other industries have. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to, to pay your team a lot of money when you have trouble getting, you know, being able to charge for those services. Um, but you know, we do, we do tend to, to remain, but be before 
what everyone else is doing in this industry. And it, and there's so many resources that are out there now. There's a lot of companies, startup companies, um, consulting companies, just all over the place are seeing like, wow, I can't believe they don't have this in the veterinary industry. Let me do this. Wow, I can't believe they don't have that in the veterinary industry. Let me, let me tailor to that. And now there's just this influx of resources and all I can encourage is just look at them, look into them and see what works for your practice. And actually I would delegate that to somebody who's a millennial to look at, because True. if you're not a millennial, you probably can't appreciate what the needs of the millennials are. So I would actually, again, that's Wanji delegating it to the team to come back to you having chosen what they feel would be a great adjunct to your already existing practice. When I am sure that when well, as the headlines regarding increasing the minimum wage continue to make headlines to $15 an hour, uh, there are a lot of small businesses, including veterinarians, quaking in their boots because of the perceived impact that that will have on their profitability. Well, I think that I was paying more 20 years ago for my staff than I believe is probably being paid to many staff members now in practice because good people earn good money because they help you make good money and so right. uh, i hate to use the term i hate to say it but you get what you pay for all right well you, you're right i mean and realistically we we opened up this this discussion talking about you know how there's a lot of turnover and how it's, there's trouble finding veterinarians and, and, you know, acquiring and retaining staff. And think of how much money is just bled out in turnover and and not being able to, to have a, a quality hired employee when we could just pay them a little bit more um, and, and and give give them a little bit more um, autonomy to, to, to do things in the practice that can help you and then you don't have them leave as fast. Well, and, and I, would, <laughs> I would, I would, I, yeah, exactly. I would suggest that there are many reasons before money that people leave a practice. And in fact, if you survey and you've, you've Kimberly, you've probably seen these surveys that money isn't the number one reason people leave. The, there are reasons such as lack of respect, not being listened to lack of growth and opportunities um, and, and being given more responsibility and lack of recognition for doing a good job. I mean, there are two words that veterinarians have never learned in vet school and, and they're thank you and I'm sorry. Um, so we can work on respect, recognition, responsibility, growth, giving people an opportunity to become more successful, having a voice in the decision-making process and then money isn't quite as painful. But most time when staff members leave, they're not leaving for the money. They're leaving because they just didn't feel like they were part of the team, that they really didn't have a voice. And they were there doing a job, but not being given an opportunity for a career. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. And, and as, as we kind of wrap this up, it's, it's really, it all goes back to Wanji. I mean, all of these things that we've discussed are, you know, we've talked about tons and tons of different little pieces of, of, of a practice and, and we could, we could delegate it all out into all these different problems, but realistically 
it's not worth any of this discussion if you know practice owners and practice managers aren't carving out time to deal with this and breaking it apart and and talk you know giving themselves a day or a half a day or a couple of hours on a friday or whatever it looks like um to work on their practice and and that is where all of these things can be discussed and can be unpacked and and uncovered and and look for solutions the uh, the, the 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 veterinary practice business pyramid that i have work with starts with a foundation based upon leadership and i will boldly say excuse me i will boldly say for the past year we've had a viral pandemic we've had an economic pandemic we've had a racial pandemic and globally we've had a lack of leadership pandemic and i would suggest that the veterinary profession routinely has a lack of leadership in our small businesses we are great at do it ship or manage ship and even bullship but <laughs> we don't always have leadership and leadership is the foundation upon Wanji. You need to be a leader to step away from the practice, set a vision and a course, and then utilizing your team, lead your team to that ultimate goal. So if you really want to look at where to start, it's learning how to be a leader within your practice. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for for repeating what what needs to be said and and for bringing awareness to that again. And, and I think that that's just incredible words to really think about and think about hard going into this year um, is really just what kind of a practice do I want to have and and carving out time to to spend on your practice, allowing yourself to lead and not manage or micromanage. Thank you, Kimberly. You uh, you did a great summary there as well. And, and uh, I look forward to continuing to have additional conversations with you in the future about Wanji and all of those moving parts that help make a practice be successful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your insight and your um, experience. And, and I think that our listeners here um, can can get as inspired as I have been. Um, and I hope that um, we can continue some of this conversation in the future. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you listeners for tuning in today and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of The Vet Detective. Like what you heard? Be sure to subscribe and tune in next time as we unfold our next veterinary mystery.